Thank you. All right. I'm on. There Good morning. Go. Hello. All right. It's true. I do get to start today. So uh, last week, Jamie began a new sermon series, and uh, he spoke on seeking God. And we start there all the time, every time. I was thinking about it as a church. If we stay there, if we stick there, we're going to be okay, right? If we stay there, we're going to be all right, seeking God first. I liked how he talked about seeking God with other people, with your two with your people who you're closest to. And I've been thinking about this week, the idea of, do you remember the slinky if you were here? This is so funny how church works. So this is the other half of the church that wasn't here last week. So you're like, I don't know what she's talking about. So he talked about with seeking God, that as humans we're like a slinky, and we move away. We move away from God instead of towards God. And so I was thinking about it this week for our next message um, so I've been thinking about that this week. How can, I, how can I move towards God instead of away from God? And I was thinking about it. This week we're talking about fighting fair. And I was thinking about in my relationships with other humans, I do the same thing. I bend away from people just like I do with God. When things get awkward, when things get hard, when I don't know what I don't know, like I don't know what's going on in your head, I, I tend to bend away from you. And I think that as Christians, God invites us to bend towards other people. And that is so hard. It's so hard. So we're going to bring the slinky back today. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is fighting fair. Um, as I want to uh, say this disclaimer. 20 years ago, Jamie and I were in premarital counseling, and um, they said, you need to learn to fight fair. And I thought that means don't scream. That's all I knew. I knew nothing about fighting fair. I had no, no history. I hadn't, I hadn't grown up watching people. Maybe some of you grew up getting to watch people in your life, like talk about things that they didn't agree with and fight. I didn't. So I got to begin there. And um, when, I was, when I was praising God this morning and worshiping, <laughs> I remembered something from premarital counseling. When we were done at the very end, um, I think one of us asked, so do you think we're going to make it? They hesitated. They hesitated. And I just remembered that. And I'm like, so our marriage is all grace. It's all God. Because I think they were looking at the skills that we had the skills that, are, that we'd been given, and they weren't sure, like honestly, with what we'd been given, um, without being launched, without knowing how to fight. I, I, when, we, when we left Jamie, I go, Jamie, they weren't sure. They weren't sure. Did you hear that pause in their voice? They weren't sure. So today when we talk about fighting fair, this is something that did not come naturally to us this is something that I am still working on. This is something that we are not amazing at. Um, so I got you these gloves. So this, so we thought we would show you really quickly. This is how box. you do it. This is from your pastors. If you want to learn that, we're just kidding. You know that, right? This is so not how it's done. But my husband is a goofball, and he just, you know this. You've been around. It's good. 
It's good to be light. It is good to not be heavy. It is good to laugh. And I do not do those things without him. So it is good that I... Okay. All right. So today we get to talk about fighting, fighting fair. Next week, you want to be there? It's talking about having fun. You're like, what? This is church. Yep, we're going to talk about what God has to say about having fun with um, people, your spouse, your friends. And then we're going to talk about staying pure. And that doesn't just mean don't have sex. It means a lot of things. And then we're going to talk about lastly, which I'm excited about, we're going to have a guest speaker who you're all going to like, who hasn't spoken in a while, Jan. Jan's going to be speaking. Everyone likes when Jan speaks. So he has his deep wisdom and insight. I'm setting you up good. So you're going to want to be here. He's got things to say. So I started thinking about fighting fair, and when I was thinking about it, I started coming, I just kept landing on this word peace, peace, peace. I want peace. I thought, that's what I really want. I want peace. I want it so bad, actually. I want peace with Jamie. I want peace with my kids. I want peace with my parents. I want to be able to communicate with them with peace. I want peace with my neighbors who live next door to me. Um, I want peace with every person that comes in this church. Like, there's a longing in me for peace. And I think that our world and the culture wants peace super, super desperately. However, we're willing to do everything to get it except for what's actually necessary, and that's conflict. So Emma's friend was at our house a couple months ago, and we were all just talking, and she shared her opinion about something. And I said, I don't see it that way. I'm like, I mean, you know, just casually. I'm like, this is how I see it. And uh, so the next day, her friend says to her, does your mom not like me anymore? I think this is how our culture thinks. And I was like, what do you mean is my mom not like you anymore? Well, my mom doesn't, your mom doesn't agree with me on this. And Emma's like, my mom does not have to agree with you to like you. My mom does not. I do not have to agree with you to like you. And look, look around the room. Look around the room. There are no two people who agree with each other on everything. There are no two people in this room who see everything the same. Annie and I, we have a lot of ways that we think similar. We have a lot of ways we don't. I love Annie, and I can be really close to Annie, and I can let Annie not think like I think, and that's okay. That's beautiful. But a lot of times in the church, what we do instead, instead of letting Christy share her opinion and letting Heidi, we keep it shut. That's lying. That's lying. We say we don't lie in the church. We're really good at lying. We hate conflict. I've heard you guys say this to me. I hate conflict. I've said it. My husband said it. I hate conflict. But if we aren't willing to really say what we're thinking, really say what we believe, then it's not peace. It's false peace. It's not true. It's not loving. So today, <laughs> we're going to look at what does God say about peace? 
What does he say about conflict? And I want to start with a text. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Colossians. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and find it. I also think it's on the screen because Jamie's really good at that. All right, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. God, prepare our hearts to hear your word. Open our souls to hear from you. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. <clears throat> so, I want to get a little uncomfortable. Is that our, like these seats are horribly uncomfortable, right? If you're over, if you're over five foot four, your knees are touching the seat in front of you right now. So just shift just for a second to an even more uncomfortable position, because we want to get uncomfortable. That's that's what the Bible actually does for us. It, it takes us to uncomfortable places. Often we think that church should be the place we come and be comfortable. You should be able to be comfortable at church. Now we want you to be comfortable in our community, but I want you to know in the presence of God is not always comfort. He is the comforter, but it's not always comfort. We're going to talk about a little bit about what false peace looks like. Heidi brought that up in a second ago. False peace. Uh, here's the reason why, though. Because if the only thing of Jesus anybody sees in this world is you, we have to ask ourselves the question, how does my living reflect Jesus, right? How does how I do conflict and disagreements, how does... How I do politics reflect Jesus. And I'm not just talking about what you think politically. I'm talking about how you speak, how you associate with people who have opposite opinions and think differently. The people that we might even call enemies, not just politically, but, but here in town and, and, and global, geopolitically across the world. How do we deal with enemies? Because it matters. Because the only thing somebody is going to see of Jesus is you. So we want them to see the best and most bright uh, representation of Jesus possible. The problem is, though, when it comes to conflict, the church does not typically do conflict any different than the rest of the world. We are more formed by grandpa than we are formed by Jesus. We are more formed by American politics than we are by Jesus. We are more formed by our culture than we are by Jesus. And so instead of doing conflict differently in the new family of Jesus, it looks very much the same as the world around us. The very people who claim to have found peace with God can't do peace with their fellow man. We very often live in what I would like to call a false peace. Say false peace. False peace. Say that louder. False peace. I'm doing that for you, Doug. <laughs> Doug works nights, and so... Praise Jesus that you get here. I just <laughs> love that you're here, and I'm going to try to keep you awake today. 
False peace. We're going to talk about false peace. So what does false peace look like? It looks like the opposite of the text we just read. I want to give you an image. Let's go back to the Old Testament. We talked about David and Goliath just about a month ago, right? Remember the story of David and Goliath? The whole armies of Israel were encamped on one side of a valley, the Philistines on the other. They were sending out Goliath every day. He's nine feet tall. His armor weighs thousands of pounds, and he's just shouting, I defy the armies of Israel to challenge me, to come against me. And if you beat me, we'll be your slaves. And if, and if we beat you, you're our slaves. And you know what Israel was doing? They were cowering in fear. They were hiding in caves and in holes. Now, they weren't dying, right? They went about their day. They had their meals. They, they, and, but as long as the Philistines stayed over there and they stayed over here, they could handle the taunting. They could handle the insults. They could take it. They could just hide in their holes and live. It is a picture of false peace. That's a picture of false peace. False peace is the opposite of what this text that we read this morning from Colossians really uh, leads us toward as a people of God. And he starts with this, this, this words here. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Just remember you're beloved this morning. And that, in that belovedness, you can rest and walk in this. But we often don't. And instead of walking in God's love and putting on compassion and kind hearts, we, we put on something that is very temporary, right? We, we pacify for just a little while. We, we put it off for just a little bit longer. We hide in the caves on the other side of the, of the valley. And so we, don't have, we plug our ears so we don't have to hear. We hit this peace. Oh, okay. The con- he left the room. It's okay. I feel all right now. I can, I can walk in my peace again. But it's temporary till he or she comes back, right? It's temporary till you hear the opposing opinion. It's temporary until you have to see your spouse again. Instead, this text says to bear with one another, and that's a long-term deal in the presence of each other. Secondly, it isolates. The text talks all about one another's, do this to one another, bear with one another, be gentle with one another, be kind to one another. False peace, it isolates. You don't need a one another, you know? I don't have to be kind or gentle or peaceful with the other if the other isn't around me. It's isolating. In false peace... Unforgiveness finds safe harbor. It's, it's a shore in which a ship can sail right in, and it can drop anchor, and it can hang out there as long as it wants. Unforgiveness just breeds. It's just be bearing with one another, being forgiving is what the text calls us to, and yet our, our, our false peace often is very unforgiving. We hold, we keep a record of wrongs, right? We keep an account. We know how somebody treated us in the past, and we hold on to that. <coughs> It's prideful. The text calls us toward humility. But in a false peace, we, we are living with the belief that we can't be wrong, that the other is less than us, that the other isn't worthy of us. We, we, we isolate, we push away, we keep them away so that we can live in our peace, believing the best about ourselves and not about other people. It's prideful. It looks like power games. And then you can see this in marriages. We, when, uh, like all the marriage counseling Heidi and I have done and with other folks and premarital counseling, power games seems to always come up. It looks like uh, manipulating to get your way, right? It looks like bullying where somebody gets big. One person gets big and the other person gets small. It, looks like, it feels like peace to the person who got big and it feels like peace to the person who got small because we dealt, didn't deal with the conflict. We just did this weird relational thing where one person got big, one person got small, and then nothing ever got changed. It looks like avoidance. How many of you have ever had somebody get into an argument with you and turn and walk away? No resolution, 
right? No resolution, no forgiveness, none of that stuff. Just turn and walk away. Go into another room, another space. And in their head, they're thinking, this way I won't blow up at them. This way we'll keep the peace between us. But instead, the person that's left standing there is left with this gaping hole in their heart. It looks like avoidance. It looks like punishing. A thousand ways. How many of you have ever had somebody in your life that knew all the million ways that they could punish you? Just little tiny things. Looks, glances, a sly word, a turned shoulder. How about withholding affection? I'm not going to touch you. Husbands and wives, I'm not going to kiss you. We climb in bed. We turn our backs toward one another. And that, that, that... <laughs> What? Conflict. There's the word I'm looking for. I'm trying to find the word. Like, Heidi, help me. That conflict sits here between you, and it's not resolved. Man, there's a lot of ways that false peace turns up in our relationships. And you probably thought of something that I haven't led but I w- or said, but I want you to know that this way of being, it leads to a few things. It leads to dishonesty, first and foremost, which Heidi mentioned already. It leads to lying. Let's just be real honest. Let's all say this together. I lie on the count of three. Mm. And then you can shiver. It's okay. <laughs> One, two, three. I, I lie. lie. Oh, it's true. Okay, I, I am a peacemaker by nature. I hate conflict. I am a conflict avoidant. And I have had to work so hard on this because I just want Heidi to be happy. I just want you guys to all be happy all the time. I really do. And so I will withhold my opinion so that I don't take you off. That's lying because it's not being true to myself. It's stepping outside of my integrity. I will not speak up when I think something needs to be said to keep the peace. It's lying. It's how it looks for me. It may look differently for you. It can also lead to stuffing where you take your emotions and you press them. And there's a Simpsons episode, and I don't get to use the Simpsons as sermon illustrations very often, but there's a Simpsons episode where little Lisa is experiencing the blues. She is sad, and her mom comes to her and says, Lisa, you don't let those sad feelings out. What you do is you take them and you press them into your body and you squeeze them down until they run and ooze out the end of your toes. This is what we do with our emotions, with our thoughts, with our opinions. We stuff them and we stick them in. And so we either die inside to them or we explode. How many of you have ever exploded? I don't have to raise your hands. I got a couple <laughs> people raising their hands. I saw you. We explode. We just, we hold it, we stuff it, and boom, here's my opinion. Like it or leave, you know? We just, brr. It causes dirty pain. There's two kinds of pain in life. There's dirty pain and there's clean pain. Dirty pain is a pain that leads scripturally unto death. It is a disagreement, an argument, a fight, a conflict between two people that does not lead to life. It leads to death. It leads to the death of one or the other two people because one of them kills them (laughs) or because you've stuffed something, you've withheld, you've, you've died to yourself in an unhealthy way. It's a pain that leads unto death. It's a relationship that drifts apart and remains separated forever. The good news is there's such a thing as clean pain. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But clean pain is a pain that you, it's a surgeon's pain, right? You come in, you deal with the conflict, you're like, oh, this stinks. Oh, this hurts so much. And then in the end of it, you come out with a scar. You come out with a broken leg. But ladies and gentlemen, those scars and those broken legs, they heal stronger than regular bones and regular skin. It's a healing that is unto life. That's true peace. And then it leads to elephants. 
I have a picture mm. of elephants. It leads to elephants in the room. Oh, you guys, yeah, it's kind of hard to see. <coughs> but I brought an elephant because I like to bring toys to church. And I brought this little elephant, and it's a little hand-carved elephant. And this reminds me that when we don't deal with our conflicts with one another, it leads to elephants in the room. Could you imagine, metaphorically, that Heidi and I had a conflict between us, there was an it, that conflict became an elephant standing between us, how we would be able to relate? Like, how we would be able to, to be friendly toward one another, to be kind or gentle or patient with one another, with an elephant between us? Conflict that is unresolved, disagreements that are not dealt with, and our inability to let others be themselves and have their opinions creates elephants between us. And you can come into a church of our size. We're not a big church. You can come into our church, a church of our size, and the room can be absolutely full of elephants. I'm declaring hunting season on elephants this morning. You guys want to do that with me? We want to be a community of people that does not allow elephants to stand between us. When you have elephants in the room, you can feel it. You can feel the tension when that other person walks in. The room just gets real small all of a sudden because that elephant is so big. You can feel it when you walk into a church that is full of elephants. People are on edge. People are shifty. They're not, not looking at it. They're not sharing who they really are. They're not vulnerable. They're not honest. You guys have probably experienced this before. You can feel a room that is full of false peace. And it feels bad, right? feels bad. So the big question is, why do we do it? Why do we insist on false peace when something so much better is available to us? When something so much better is available to our marriages? When something is so much, so much better is available to our community? Why? I don't have an answer for that. Mm. Human brokenness, our bentness, and Heidi's going to talk more about that. But she's going to take us now into looking at true peace and to see how maybe we could experience something different. All right. So I've been thinking this week and pondering, so why is it easier to look at false peace than true peace? So um, I took true peace. In the new family of Jesus, we no negotiate what? I just realized I had a whole other section. Like, oh. I was supposed to talk more. Do you want to say that stuff? Yeah, I think actually that's okay. the reasons why. It was actually, that was my job. I okay. stopped talking, and that's my job. Okay. Do you, what do you want to do? Go for it. Okay. See how we just negotiated conflict? <laughs> it was my own fault. The reason why I think actually we do this, why we, uh, we live with this false peace, it's, it's four quick things. First of all, it's teaching. Um, I think, in, and I think I'm guilty yeah. of this. We've taught, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be children of God, Matthew 5, 9, right? Mm -hmm. But we misinterpreted what peacemaker means. Peacemaker in that context is one who brings the terms of God to mankind for peace. God's terms for peace. God's way of doing peace. When we look at Jesus as a peacemaker, we find it does not look like our peace. Jesus is a peace disruptor, <laughs> right? 
He, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, he says. So when you look at Jesus, he is always disrupting. He's disrupting the disciples. He's interrupting their workday and calling them out. He is, he's interrupting their conversations about who's best, and he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not about who's best, it's about who's least. He's constantly flipping things on him. He broke the peace of the Romans. He broke the peace of people selling stuff in the temple. He broke peace of the religious leaders. He was constantly challenging the conflicts that were not being spoke about. I think the second reason is the fear. We are scared to death of conflict with one another because we want to be loved and liked. Mm. We want to be loved and liked. Tim Keller says this, to be loved and not known is comforting, but it's superficial. But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. So we're okay with superficial, but because we're so afraid of not being loved. So fear, culture. Our culture tells us don't rock the boat. Avoid politics in a conversation. If it's broke, don't fix it. Just leave it, wash over it, turn away. And you know what it leads to is anxiety between us because we have to see each other. Our culture is driven by anxiety because we don't deal with our conflicts. Lastly, because it's easier, the slinky, gravity is pulling us to one direction. We are bent. We run from commitments. We change our behavior. We work on our, our own weaknesses. All of these things are what's required in true peace. And because we're, we don't want those things, it's, it's hard to change. It's hard to have a different opinion. It's hard to work from this stuff. We move away. And so we move toward temporary peace because it's easier. But it's a far cry from what Jesus intended. Peace of mind is not the peace of Christ. I'll say that again. Peace of mind is not the peace of Christ. In the new family of Jesus, we negotiate differences and we deal with conflicts differently. And that's where I was supposed to turn it over to you. All right. You sure? Yeah. Okay. All right. That was pretty good. I was kind of wishing I could take notes. Just saying. You can have my notes later. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> we'll, we'll preach it to you tonight in bed. Okay. All right. <laughs> do you guys right. have your best conversations in bed, married people? Maybe. We do. Anyways, maybe. Um, all right. In the new family of Jesus, we negotiate differences and deal with conflict differently. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Except we don't. <laughs> Except sometimes we don't. So I was thinking about it this week. Um, so also at Awake this month, we've been talking about relationships and dating. And, and uh, one of the college students said, I didn't know that this was so hard. That's what she said to me. I didn't know this was so hard. I didn't know. And I think sometimes we don't know. I think sometimes we think that relationships should be easy. So as I was thinking about um, true peace, this idea kept coming into my mind. I brought it up with the slinky, but it's, it's turning towards other people instead of away. It's the idea of the slinky bending towards people. And I have a quote I want to read to you guys. It says, it's um, from Peter Gregg in the Cultivate uh, magazine. I wish people were more honest about covenant relationship. Yes, marriage is glorious and wonderful and beautiful, but it is also the hardest thing ever. I think that all relationships that are worth having, all deep, meaningful connections, you could say this. I wish people were more honest about deep relationships, meaningful relationships. Uh, they're glorious. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. They're the hardest thing ever. 
So down a little bit farther in this article, he says, the Gottman Institute in New York studies marriage to discover why some survive and so many falter. Successful marriages can be predicted with a 94% accuracy rate through a certain factor. In healthy relationships, spouses continually turn toward one another. Toward one another. And then he goes on to say, turning towards Sammy, that's his wife, creates a climate of grace in our home. If I have claimed to forgiven her, but remain moody, have you, you've probably never done that. Oh, right, see, just me. You remain moody. You remain distant. Yeah, I forgive you. Mm, stay there. Or passive aggressive. None of us are passive aggressive at this church. I'm playing power games. On average, partners in healthy marriages turn toward one another in these kinds of ways 87% of the time. And he talks about it just like, not just conflict, but like conversation. Like I make a move toward you and you're like, mm, I'm on my phone. I'm not moving towards you. Or I want to talk to you and make a movement toward you and you don't make space for that. 87, I'm like, that's a lot. We have to practice moving towards one another more often than not. Where did my notes go? Oh, here they are. I was thinking about also, how do I have peace with God? Like, how does that come for me? Really, I have peace with God through Christ, through his death and resurrection. That's how I have peace with God. And I think that is also how we have peace with other people. We have to die to ourselves to have peace with other people. We follow Christ's model. Christ died so that I can have peace with God. That's the only way. And I, Heidi, have to die to myself in order to have peace with other people. Look back at the passage. In order to be meek, I have to die to the right to be correct. I don't know if that's hard for you, but sometimes I know I'm right because I'm right, because I am right. And I have to die to the right to be meek. Sometimes I have to die to my timing. I want this, I want you to do this on my timing. I have to die to that, that's patience. That's patience. I have to die to my right to be angry with you because you were a jerk. I have to die to that. Or I can't forgive. And if I can't forgive, I can't experience God's love. This is how I think of forgiving because one time God showed me this picture because we're called to forgive, to move towards one another. You have to forgive people. One time, God showed me through time with the Holy Spirit, you have to forgive this person. And I said, no, I don't want to. I'm not ready. And the Holy Spirit's like, you need to forgive this person. Have you ever had, have you ever had God say that to you? It's time. I brought it up. It's in your face. It's time. You need to forgive this person. And I said, no. And God showed me this, and it comes to my mind now when I say no to God. And he's like, this is what it's like, Heidi. You're doing this to this person. It's like I've taken my hands around their throat and I'm choking them. 
I'm just holding them there and I'm choking them. And he said, take your hands off their throat. Take your hands. And I said, I can't. They deserve it. I don't want to. He's like, I love you, Artie. You're not going to be free until you take your hands off their neck. And when you take your hands off that person's neck that you're so angry with and who deserved it, then you can love like Christ. Then you can experience some peace. Today, is there something you need to die to? Do you need to die and be wrong? Do you need to die to your own timing and let it be God's timing? My last point is pretty simple. Conflict with other people either will bend you towards Jesus or away. When you have conflict, you either help. Jesus, help me. Help me. Or you move away. When you have that with somebody, it either can move you towards Jesus or away. Jamie and I have been talking this week. Conflict has the potential to make you a saint maker. Nothing brings me back to God like conflict, either with other people or hard things, cancer. I wish that like light and happy and fluffy things brought me back to God. But if you're honest, what's brought you to your knees? The hard times, the rough times, when you don't see eye to eye, when you don't have enough money, those are the things that bring you on your knees and make you pray. One of the things I was thinking about with peace is the word that kept floating in my mind is harmony. Harmony. And one of the articles I remember that I read in this, this is really good, you guys. This, um, these are articles on relationships between marriage, dating, parenting, and other people. And if that's something I, ooh, I'm interested, you could um, check this out. We bought it for Emma for her 18th birthday, and it's her favorite gift. So it's pretty good. She read me one last night. So let's see if I can find it. This is on, here we go. This is on harmony and peace. Tension makes good music. If there's too little tension, you'll fall flat. If there's too much tension, you'll be sharp. I kept thinking of when Addie and Sarah and Emma and Jamie hit that harmony. It's like, ah, oh, it's so nice. It's so sweet. So what it means is music is beautiful when there's harmony. Falls flat means you're not saying what you're actually thinking. You're not having any conflict because you're not being a human. You're just being a passive person that falls flat. If you have too much tension, you're constantly griping on the other person. You're not giving yourself enough space just to be. It's sharp. Have you ever been sharp with other people? It's, it's not attractive to be around for other people. My, my sister, when we were first married, she said to me, and I was like, oh, I hope you have people you can hear things from. She said, wow, you guys are sure at each other, aren't you? It was sharp. It was too much. And I could be like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't see. 
I didn't see, right? We don't see. I hope you have people who can say to you, wow, you're being a little sharp with your husband. And that's too sharp. It wasn't harmonious. Nobody wants to be around that. It's not fun. So Jamie's going to introduce a tool. It's just a tool. It won't save, fix, anything. But with the Holy Spirit, we have found that it helps us a lot. And we want to share it with you. You can use it or not use it. But I was realizing it's just a tool. And without the Holy Spirit, mm, it's just a tool. And it's not really that great. So here's what I mean. So it's a tool we've been working on. And last time I was upset with Jamie, I'm like, I'm going to use my tool. So I pulled out my tool and I shared with him instead of stuffing it because I was mad. So I shared with him. I was like, I said, you're being a jerk. I'm using my tool. Not well, obviously. And I was all proud of myself. I'm like, I used my tool. I used my tool. I'm so proud. I actually told him what I was thinking. I didn't hold it in. I'm driving in the car and the Holy Spirit says to me, yeah, but you were awfully rude. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in, right? I'm all thinking, I'm using my new tool. And the Holy Spirit's like, you weren't kind. You weren't loving. How was that helpful? So that evening as we're making dinner together, I'm coming back. I'm like, so I was trying to use our new tool. And, I, and I'm sorry. I was, I was a jerk. And he, he forgave me. So when we teach each other, when we learn new tools, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't forget the Holy Spirit or you might just be a jerk back. And it takes practice, practice, practice. Like you practice yoga, you practice to play the piano, you practice how to get along. You practice how to get along. So we are ready to hear this, this tool. Amazing tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't look amazing. They don't look ready. They're ready. They're ready. They're ready. I I just wanted to add one thing to what Heidi said about saint makers, like enemies. People we disagree with, people who irritate us, people that we live with in our house and share a bed with are saint makers. And that Tim Keller quote I shared earlier where he said, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. Uh, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. He goes on to say this, but to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. And it's what we need more than anything because it liberates us from pretense it humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. That's how it makes us saints. As we deal with these conflicts, our sharp edges are rubbed off. Our, our, our irritating places, are, they're made plain. You know, there's passages where God says he's going to come and he's going to make the, the high places level and the low places filled in so that it's a straight plane, a, pl a way for the Lord to come to the world. That's what he's doing in you. As you, deal with, as you deal with conflicts and disagreements and irritations, and you do it kindly and gently and patiently and with self-control. So the new tool that I want to teach you is, uh, I like to call it dealing with dirty underwear. Can we all just say that together? Let's deal with dirty underwear. Let's deal with dirty underwear. So when Heidi and I were first married, um, I apparently had a lot of dirty underwear. I don't know. It's something that you do every day, right? This is one thing we can all probably agree on. Almost all of us change our underwear every day. And I hope. If you don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> we'll just let, it's not if till it becomes an elephant. When it's an elephant, we'll deal. But uh, so I would go to take my shower in the morning, and I don't want to make your mental image too, too sharp here, but <laughs> so I would take my shower, and then everything that I took off to get in the shower would remain there in the corner of the bathroom. 
because I had lived as a bachelor for quite a while before that. And before that, I lived, you know, at home where mom, who was really nice, she would go in the bathroom and clean up my dirty clothes and put them in the laundry for me. So in my mind, that's what happens to dirty clothes. They just disappear and they appear in your drawer. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a miracle. It's like science or something. And after a while, with all miracles, right, we get a little numb to them. So Heidi and I get married, and my dirty clothes start piling up in the corner of the room because in her house, they dealt with it a little differently. And she got mad at me, and she goes, would you just put your dirty underwear in the, the laundry basket? And I was like, what? What are we even talking about? And it became this big fight between the two of us where we just, like, were mad at each other. I mean, like, we even, I, I think, if I remember right, we even went to shouting <laughs> for this thing. And, and we don't shout at each other. It's just not what we do anymore. And so we had to learn a new skill for dealing with dirty underwear because we've all got dirty underwear of some sort in our lives, right? We've all got these conflicts, disagreements, ways we need to get along. So there's this kind of four-point uh, tool that we can use to communicate with one another what's going on with the whole dirty underwear. So it goes like this. I prefer, I value, I feel, whoops, sorry. I noticed, I value, I feel, I prefer. So uh, repeat after me. I noticed, I value, I feel, and I prefer. All right. So it's four parts. And I was going to talk about each of these. So we start with I notice. Very often in our conflicts, we don't notice, we accuse, right? You always leave your dirty underwear in the bathroom. Well, that's just not true. If I had always left my dirty underwear in the bathroom, I wouldn't have any clean ones. It's just not true, right? It's an exaggeration and an accusation. It says it's a value statement, right? You are a dirty underwear lever. And it's time for you to change. And you know what happens? You get buried under shame over things like that. Because it may be something more important than dirty underwear. It might be how you speak to somebody. It might be how you cook. It might I don't know what it is, but it can bring shame. Because it says, you are broken by nature and are unlovable. Not, I love you and I want to work this out. So we change our language from, you always, to, I noticed. Because that's really what happened. You noticed. You notice something different. It takes accusation off the table. It's not a value statement. It's a statement of fact. I saw X, Y, Z. I saw your underwear in the bathroom. Then the second point is value. So this gets to you. This is why this is important for you. This is what, why this makes you so stinking hot, right? This is why you get all like, I'm just going to explode. It's because there's a value, something that's important to you, that's getting violated, Right? For Heidi, a clean house is a very high value for her. I grew up in a cave. I could care less when we got married, honestly. Does it smell? I don't know. What? I now really like a nice clean house because she's taught me to. But for her, she came from a beautiful, clean home that did not have dirty underwear all over the place. So she has this value of a clean home, and I come in completely blind not knowing her value, what she cares about, not knowing that it's important, that it makes her feel like she's living in a cave, and I just throw my underwear around. And so she gets all angry because I'm just stamping on her value. Each of us has a value. 
and we need to get clear on what it, what it is and why it's important to us. Because when you share that, when Heidi shared with me, I like a clean home, I learned something new about her. It's like, what? Why? Because it makes me feel really good. Wh- why? You know, and it just this whole prompted this whole conversation where now I have this deeper knowledge of Heidi. Instead of being separated, we've come together. We've turned toward each other. Do you guys get in this? Say, I notice. Say, I value. All right, and now we're going to go to I feel. And now this is where it gets all real, all right? This is where it gets all psychology on you. Okay, this is not pop psychology. It might be. But God gave us feelings. They are an indicator. They are important. They don't always tell the truth, but they do tell us something. And they are the part of the, part one of the deepest parts of us is how we feel about things. And so when we share, we're turning toward one another. We share what that feeling is when our value has been violated. It draws us closer together, and it gets to the heart of the matter. Why is this triggering you? What is it triggering in you? So for me, like growing up in shame environments, when I get those accusations, I go automatically to a shame place. I've already got things in my head telling me, yeah, you're not good enough. You'll never make a good husband. You're not a good pastor. I've already got those things going on. And suddenly, her anger, her, her, her accusations are sending me back to that place. But when she says, I value a clean home, and it makes me feel dirty, I start to go, oh, wait, there's feelings going on over here, and this isn't about my shame. This is about something for her, and I need to listen. It tells about how it's affecting her peace. You guys following this? About how it affects her peace. And then you move from that to I prefer. Say, I prefer. I hate preferences. I'm so bad with preferences. We could go get pizza. She's like, what do you want on the pizza? I'm like, I don't know. What do you want on the pizza? She's like, I want to know what you want on the pizza. This is like probably one of the biggest arguments we ever have, right? Almost all the time. What do you want to do today? I don't know. I'm like, have you guys ever watched Robin Hood, the, the Disney version with the foxes, and they've got the two vultures sitting on the, you guys know this? I'm looking blank stares all over the place. The two vultures, and they're sitting on a branch, and one of them looks at the other one and goes, what do you want to do today? And he goes, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And they just go back and forth, back and forth. They'll say, stop it. Know your preference. Know what you want. You've got a value. You've got feelings. So what is it that you really want that's different? Clean up. I, but you need to say it differently. <laughs> I would prefer that if you cleaned up your underwear. I would appreciate it. He does now. I'm disassociated for myself in this, apparently. He does now. We state it, though, because there's, here's here's the important thing. Are you guys ready for this? Here's the big key to the whole thing. It's not just what you say, but how you say it, right? I would prefer if you would just clean up your dang mess. Or, clearly, kindly, gently, patiently, I would prefer if you would clean up your dirty clothes and put them in the basket. I'm more than happy to take them to the laundry if you would do it occasionally too. (laughs) I don't do laundry right. I mess it up all the time. So it's kind of her thing. I would prefer, so we kind of tend to lean one way or another, right, in life. We're either an ostrich where we stick our head in the ground and we don't have preferences and we just let everybody run right over us. Or we're a bull in the china cabinet, and we just bully each other, and we get up in each other's faces, and I want, I need, you will do. 
we got to move to this middle place of peace. Move to the middle place of peace where with one another, we are bearing with one another with meekness and gentleness, forgiving, being patient, and building each other up to be toward Christ. Here's the test of true peace. If you've done this right, if you've done this right in a conflict, at the end of it, here's the test. Ask yourself, if the peace I have in my heart about this matter, does, (laughs) I gotta say this right, it was like so important how I said that. If I have peace in my heart about a matter, do I also have peace with others in the body of Christ concerning it? Did you guys catch that? That's the question you need to ask. If you've done this right, it's not just peace in you, it's peace between us. You can walk away from a conflict like she did, feeling so good. I used my tool. It went so well. And in the meantime, I'm over here like just totally smarting inside, like, ouch, that really hurt. And I'm feeling divided from her. She didn't even realize it because she's so proud, right? She had peace in her heart, but we didn't have peace between us. You need to ask yourself, when you've done this, do I have peace with the body of Christ? Because if you don't have peace with the body of Christ, you don't have true peace. We're going to move toward closing now. And I just wanted to tell everybody, this morning, or the other day, we were asked by the kids' ministry to speak longer because they wanted more time in their classrooms. (laughs) So we're obliging today. So much good stuff to tell you guys. So it is. It's really cool. They're having Ava's doing a great job, and they're having a great time up there. So I'm going to stop and let you. Will you close this thing up? Like, tell us what to do with all of this stuff. No, but let's make space to ask the Holy Spirit. Yeah, how to bend, how to move towards um, people. So there's been a lot of information today. And I just thought of that. Emma read me an article yesterday that said um, people don't grow with information. They grow when they know they're loved. So I hope we don't give you just information. I hope this is a place where you also feel loved. Because that's really what we want. We want to grow. It also said that when we stop growing, we're dying. Let's be a people that continue to grow. Gracefully, slowly, no pressure. Just moving towards God. Let's be a people that move towards God. Move towards each other. It's hard. And let's remember today that we have peace with God because of Christ. We have peace with God because of Christ. If you don't have peace right now because you have never come to know God, because you've never said yes to Jesus. I want to make space for that today. I'm going to pray and give you a time to say, yes, I want peace with God. And in life sometimes, we don't have peace with other people. It happens. And you could be sitting there, and you might have had somebody on your heart today that you're just sitting there. And let's pray that um, you can move towards them this week, that person, towards that peace again. Um, and ask that the Holy Spirit would show you. So I'm going to pray with you and for you. And we're going um, to give the Holy Spirit a little bit of time to speak to our hearts. And uh, would you sing a song for us in closing? Yeah, we're going to do that. So let's just take a, a minute of silence. Like just quietly in our own hearts, listening to what the Holy Spirit would have for you. Okay. Um, 
it's not a not a space to can I just say prophecy? Can we go in this place as a great conflict? We can use it to bash each other. So it's a place just to hear from the Holy Spirit for yourself, not for the community. And yeah. Okay. All right. Silence, and then I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we want to pray together as a community. If there's someone here who has never experienced peace with you, that they've never said um, yes to Jesus, they've never accepted that they are not at peace with you, but they feel it today, that they're separated from you. Jesus, I pray that today they would find peace in you. that they would learn how to move towards Jesus. If that was you today and you said yes, do not leave without telling somebody, maybe who you came with. Jamie or I would love to hear. There's power when you say it out loud. There's power when we uh, say lots of things out loud. Jesus, I pray for each of us as we're sitting here. Teach us to be a community that turns toward one another, that bends like this slinky over and over and over again. God, I do not have it figured out what true peace with relationships look like. But I ask that you continue to grow me. I ask that you continue to grow us. Maybe give each other grace as we're learning, because it might look messy. Lots and lots of grace here in this space. God, if there's someone that we need to forgive, if there's a place where we've had false peace and we need to start moving towards true peace, may we be bold enough to do it. If you brought it up today, God, then we are ready. Something I learned recently. If God has put it on your mind, you are ready. It's time. Begin. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us as we worship you today. Seal, seal what you need for each of us. God, may there be one nugget for us to meditate and pray on and grow so we look more like you. Just one thing cemented in our hearts. May we be desperate for you, desperate for you again. It's a sweet place to be desperate for God because he is so faithful. So faithful. When you're willing to be humble, when you're willing to not care about the people around you, when you are willing to follow Christ, He's so faithful. We're so scared. We're so scared of what other people think. We're so scared of simply lifting our hands or bending our knees, and you've done so much for us. And we're so scared.
I know that you still love us even more scared, but God, make us brave. Make us obedient. Father, we give you these next few minutes. May we be brave and obedient. May we long for you. You're so good, so full of grace. We love you, Jesus. So as you go this morning, may the grace of Jesus rest upon you. And would you put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved by Jesus, because he really truly loves you, by Heidi and I as your pastors, and by this community of faith, holy, beloved, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called as one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. Do your relationships, do your politics, do your conflict in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Go in God's grace to be God's people and to show the world that the new family of Jesus does things differently. Amen.